before we before we get into the communion, we want to kind of talk a little bit about why we're here. And so I want as much focus today as possible, not much distraction, because this is getting into a very important part. So we want to we want to be focused on our spirits settling ourselves down, coming into a a, a place of communion with God. Um, because this is an important event. And this, you know, everything's fun up until now. The story of the Exodus, the Dayenus, the Manishtanas, the reclining on the pillow, looking at the, uh, the elements and tasting them and feeling them and ooing and aahing at the uh, at the the beauty of what God put together it's all it's all a great thing but it's leading to this purpose so like thousands of years before God has this providence and which is the timely preparation of a future event. So the children of Israel all across the world today, they're, they're having this Seder meal, remembering the Exodus, remembering the event of leaving Egypt, of the manna, of the firstborn children dying. The entire, the entire event was a foreshadowing of something else. And it was the timely preparation of some future eventuality. It's a physical experience of the exodus, the slavery, the plagues, the killing of the firstborn. It was ultimately this revelation of a spiritual significance that would happen that they wouldn't even understand until thousands of years later. So you read the scriptures and it's hard to like put into perspective that God is doing something that is going to unravel and we're going to understand why he's doing it. We're going to understand at some point in time why God is doing what he's doing today. And it's going to be this event that we're all going to, we're all going to have this aha moment of, oh, that's why you did that, God. And we're, we're literally still in the journey. I don't think we really realize that we're still on, we're still in the spiritual wilderness. So if you take the story of the Exodus and you spell out the events that happened there, we spiritually are still in the wilderness. We've not made it to the promised land yet. So Yeshua's crucifixion, his sacrifice for us, was the Passover. Which happened where? In Egypt to lead into the wilderness. 
We've not fought the giants yet to enter the promised land. You know, the fight's coming. We've not fought the giants yet. We, you know, spiritually, Joshua and Caleb have not gone into the promised land and said that they, we are like, you know, the ten said we are like grasshoppers to them. Joshua and Caleb have not come back and said, yes, but we are the, you know, we are the ones that are going to overtake this. This is, the, this is an Armageddon almost. It's hap- going to happen, okay? So the entire event is still occurring. We're still living out the exodus spiritually. And we're on like the brink of that. I don't know if you feel it in the spirit the way I'm feeling it. If you watch what's going on in the world... We're on the brink of the battle, the return of the Mashiach, the entering into the congregation of the promise, the land of Israel, the land of Olam Haba. And so we have this event that's going on all around us where, 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 you know, you read the message that's up there and there's pieces of it that that hit every year differently. It's the same story every year. It's the same story you go through. It's the same event. But as time goes on, you have to you have to start seeking God in a different way each Pesach. Understanding that you're leading up to something. And we use the Communion as the crux of our Pesach, right? It's the event of why we gather together. As often as we come together to eat of this bread, as often as we come together to drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me, this is what we're doing, and this is why we do this corporately, because it's an important thing to do. It's why we don't do it in our homes, and everybody, you know, there's a messianic, you know, revolt right now where lots of Messianic Jews say, we should be doing these things in our homes. Great. But the assembly needs to come together for this purpose. We can't revolt from that. We have to be with each other. We have to put our backs to each other because the war is coming. And I I don't know if we all realize that the war is coming. I think we get distracted and, we're dis- and, and when I talk about the distractions, we are very distracted in the world, by the world. The world is distracting us. The things that are going on all around us are distracting us. We are be- being distracted by what God is trying to do in the world. It says that the end of time is going to be so difficult that... Even the elect could be deceived. That literally means that the distraction is so great that you might miss what God's doing. You have to be so spiritually minded, so spiritually sound, grounded in the presence of God, grounded in the Word of God, grounded in Yeshua, the the, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings who's coming again, that if we are not so grounded, we could potentially 
get duped by what is coming. We cannot put ourselves in a position where we're unaware. Where we're unaware. Life just gets okay. Life's just fine. I'm, I'm getting up every day. I go do what I have to do. I wear my pants the same way. And this is our routine. And we're in a good one. You know, God wants to break up our routines and get us minded into the spirit. Put us right on track to where he requires us to be. As a people, but individually. Spiritually, we have to get there. The story today is still being written. We're literally in the story. God is writing it as we speak. Just before I came today, just for fun, I looked up what's going on in Israel right now in case something great happened while we were unaware. Because Pesach 2023 is important. So what are they doing in Israel today on this Pesach? Did anything happen? Did God move somehow? So I scoured every single news outlet you can think of before, before we came here today. I even looked at Al Jazeera. I looked at everything just to see. But God is telling me that it doesn't matter if I see it. He's doing it. It doesn't matter what I see with my eyes. That's what faith is. That's a faith walk. Faith walk is believing God is moving and God is, God is doing miracles and making miracles regardless of what we're seeing. The story's being written. We've not entered the promised land. We're in the spiritual wilderness and it's represented by the journey of the children of Israel after escaping Pharaoh. We still have to fight the giants. We still have to be brought into the promised land. And along the way, we're forced to ask ourselves questions. Do you ever ask a question that really can't be answered? Like the question of why did Yeshua have to die? Does anyone have that question? Some of you who are super uber religious are going to look at me and go, I know why Yeshua had to die. But I'm telling you, I don't know why Yeshua had to die. If you really think about it, theologically, we can sit back and say to ourselves, okay, this is why. Boom, 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 boom. We can put it into a bucket. And we can say, this is why he had to die. And there's answers. And I can Google it, and I've done it. And there's a lot of people out there that give you the formula. This is why he had to die. But at Pesach, when, you, when you're reminiscing and you're remembering and you're memorializing the gruesome, horrible, absolute, ter terrible death that he, he had, and someone tells you it was for you, 
and all of you seem like you decent people, why did he have to die? You seem decent. Lord, what, what is it? I'm telling you, there's a bigger story that can't be answered that we'll find out one day. We have to trust and believe. I mean, think about, you know, the, the elderly and, the, and the, 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 the saints that have been with us for a long time. There are people that have been saints for their whole lives. 65, 75, 80 years been a saint. Didn't really do anything that would require anyone to die for them. Good people. Lived good lives. Loved. Did charity. When someone was harmed or hurting, they gave. When the community was in need, they gave. They prayed every day. They worshipped God. Good people. Why did you have to die for that person? That murderer that was on the cross? Him, I understand. Because he couldn't do it. So like there's questions that I have that say, you know, that, that I say to myself, okay, Yeshua, you did an absolute amazing thing. And, and there are people in this world that are good, good people. And they believe you died for their sins. And half of those people that are good, good people don't have sins. And they'll say, well, they sin in their mind or they sin in their heart. But anyone who says to themselves, someone who sins, I, I, I said it to Joel just outside, we were standing out there, I said something, and then I'm like, and when I say, you know, when I say those things, in my heart I get convicted, and I have to ask for forgiveness. Even though, you know, what I said wasn't terrible, but, you know, you, the fact that you're, at, you're getting convicted tells you that there's something decent about your heart, is what I'm trying to tell you. So we're in this story, and it's being written, and Yeshua plays this role in the story that you and I all are living. We're living it out. We're living out this spiritual story in a physical world, but some of us don't, we're not, we didn't step into it yet. We're in the religion, but we're not in the life of it. It's like when you go to the river, and you see the brook flowing. It's one thing to look how beautiful it is. And to see how the current is flowing. And how wonderful of a beautiful river that is that you're staring at. And, and that you can be a part of. It's a totally different thing to experience the river. To actually get into the river. And I don't think. We do. I think we're onlookers. And I think it's high time we get in the river. As a body, as a people, as a faith, as a faith people. Get in the flow of the Spirit, understanding what the movement of the Spirit is. God is moving spiritually. 
Do you guys believe in healing? Let me ask you. Do you believe in healing? Honestly? Do you see it every day? No, you don't. Some shake your head, but you don't. You don't see it every day. And even sometimes when you pray, you, you believe, but you say, Lord, help my unbelief. That's a fact. We do that. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Imagine the disciples on this night. Yeshua's there. He's telling them, I have to die. Peter says, there's no way on the planet you are going to that cross. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I have to do the will of my Father. Yeshua was in the river. He was in the brook. He was experiencing the spiritual. Experiencing the spiritual. He was, with, he was able to see beyond the physical. He was about to be absolutely beaten and it was okay he was quiet he was silent he took it he was in the spiritual I'm going to be honest I can't I can't if someone's coming up to me to beat me I would have a hard time zipping it if you can't tell by my disposition. <laughs> it would be difficult. Why? Because maybe I'm not in the spiritual. If God tells you to do this, would you do it? If God tells you to lay on a hands and to see some ladies who's got a short arm grow to a normal arm, would you do it and believe it? I'm telling you, we're not moving in the spiritual. The gifts of the Spirit these days. There's got to be, in the end, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys believe that? Amen. In the end, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what is your role in it? Are you asking yourself that question? Are you even thinking about the fact that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How many people, when you worship, you have a hard time raising your hands to worship? There are people that do. I'm not saying you have to, okay? I'm not. But I'm saying that if you're in an environment and you're worshiping and God says, lift up your hands to me, and in your heart you're kind of like, eh, You're not in the river. You're an onlooker on the side of the river. And you're seeing the beauty of it. And you're saying to yourself, this is a beautiful place. And I want to be here. And I want to set up my tent right here. And I want to put my rod into that river there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I'm saying that the full experience of the power of God is not in our lives because we set up camp on the side of the river. We have to get in. And God will change our lives. The movement of the presence of God. And I'm going to be honest with you again. I know that our congregation and I know our people, everyone's listening to what I'm saying. And everybody's saying to themselves, well, but there's this, and well, but there's that. 
I get it every teaching. Stop that. Think to yourself, am I living the most spiritual way I can for the kingdom of God? That's, this, that's what I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not asking for a theological debate about whether or not something's right or wrong. I'm saying, have you stepped into the presence of God and moved in a mighty powerful way? I haven't, I'm not saying that, you know, one thing or the other, I'm not debating whether or not this word was right or that word was right. And I don't want to hear any of it after this. What I want is us as a body to start living more spiritually and watch fire come from the roof of this building. Watch fire come from the roof of this building. You know, my great-grandmother's church, my great-grandmother's church, 1915, 20, whatever, had the fire department dispatched to their church during their service. Not once, not twice. Multiple times, the fire department dispatched. Why? Because there was fire coming from the roof of your building. And there wasn't fire coming from the roof of their building. It was the Holy Spirit. Because these old stubbubbas, because they, that's what they were, from Yugoslavia were in there praying in Slovak and tongues in a way that fire came from the roof of that building and miraculous things occurred in that building and people were healed and, and, and lives were truly changed and they didn't care about the worldly stuff they didn't care about the worldly stuff they cared about God why? They, 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 because they've experienced war together. They, they came from, a, from the old country where it was war. And they experienced hardship in a very, very different way. And they knew that sticking together was the most important thing. But you know what? We don't think like that anymore. We think about ourselves now. We think about you know, keeping our backs to each other. That idea is gone. But that's a biblical idea. Peter and Paul had a, had a rival they shouldn't have had. Peter and Paul had an argument constantly that they should never have had. They should have been united. So Yeshua, I say, this, why did you have to die? We say it, that, I mean, that, that Pesach is the time of questioning. Manishtana halai lahazeh. Why is this night different from any other night? It's a question. It's the time to question. It's the time to ask God. What is it? Manishtana. What is it that's different? What is going on? What are you doing? Are you guys asking God what he's doing in the world today? And why are you doing this to me? If you're going through something, where are you moving us? 
So I'm asking why Yeshua had to die, I came up to uh, uh, Romans, obviously, 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Well, I had to die, Michael, because you are a sinner. That's facts. And there's nothing I can do. No matter if I'm a, 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 an old stud of Bubba that, uh, that's never done any wrong. Literally, there was, there was a, 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 an old lady that was great friends with my grandmother, Sister Shad. I'll never forget her name. And I'll never forget her. My grandmother and my grandfather lived in these apartments in Barberton and I would go out there and I would play in the middle of the court and then we would run around and you would go by her house, her little apartment, and you'd hear her speaking in a, a, a foreign language, praying, and it was nonstop, constant prayer, right? And, and even as a little kid, you hear it, you know, I got goosebumps say what you want about the goosebumps but I felt the presence of God even as a child that was different so here I am listening to this woman and she's you know how can she be a sinner she is and she'd be one that would tell you she would be the one that would tell you that she sins the most I, I need you know that would be the type of person that would say that they need Yeshua's blood and they need Yeshua's covering so much because they, they, they understand by getting into the river and getting into the presence of God, they understand the holiness of God in such a deeper way that even, even their righteousness is, is, is wickedness. Have, we ever, have you ever been in a place where your righteousness feels like wickedness in front of God? That's what I'm asking. If we get to a place as a people, and I think this is important to talk about because Yeshua is coming back. He's going to return. And I don't care when you believe He's going to return, whether you think He's coming before the end, or before the tribulation, or whether you think He's coming after, or whether you think He's coming in the middle of it. It doesn't matter when you think He's coming. He's coming. And so the fact that he's coming, and we're not, and we're not totally, we're just living our lives eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And like a thief in the night, he's going to come. If that's going to be the case, are we vexing our own souls enough to understand that our pots are not full. Our lamps are not full. Some of us might say to themselves, my lamp is full. But in the end, it's not full. And we don't know that it's not full because you've not gone through and processed out all of that which is in you. And the leaven which exists inside of you has not been purged. Because to you, maybe it doesn't seem like leaven. To you, maybe it seems okay. 
So I'm a sinner, I know that. I believe it, I, I know that. And I know that I can do nothing. I can do nothing to attain salvation without the blood of Yeshua. You see, Paul says something very unique. Book of Galatians. He says, we are Jews by nature. It's important this talk for us today because we're Messianic Jews. Most of us are Messianic Jews. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from the Gentiles. What that means is that we're not sinners from the nations. Okay? Gentiles means nations in that context. But we're Jews by nature, which, which nevertheless means knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Yeshua HaMashiach. Even we have believed in Yeshua HaMashiach, so that we may be justified by faith in Messiah and not by works of the law. So he's sitting there, he's talking to Jews, and he's saying, Jews, listen, we're Jews by nature, meaning that we follow the law of God. We keep the law. We're not doing sinful things like the Gentiles are doing. We're not doing things the way that, you know, we're not whoremongers out in the world like, like these nasty nation people. We're Jews. We keep the Torah. But I need justification, he says. And even we believe in Messiah Yeshua so that we may be justified and faith in, in, in Yeshua is not by works of the law since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Messiah we ourselves have also been found sinners is Messiah then a servant of sin? Because why? Messiah serves us. Messiah serves us. He literally came here for you. He came to die for you. That is a servant. That's what a servant does. That's, that's not, that's not a, a kingly thing to do. Think about it. All of history, what the kings require of you, to kiss their rings, to bow before them, and cast your crowns at their feet, the crown of your head. He came, didn't ask for any of that, only gave of himself, poured out upon you, poured out upon all of, his, all of those that were there, poured out his blood for you, he served us. So is he a servant to sin? God forbid. No way. Far from it. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a wrongdoer. You guys understand what that means? That means... If I destroyed something because I thought it was wrong, and then all of a sudden I turn around and rebuild it, it means that I rebuilt it because I, I was wrong to destroy it in the first place. Okay, so Paul's saying, I can't destroy something, I can't leave something, and then destroy what it was, and then build it, up again, build it back up and go back to it. Because that would mean that I was wrong from the beginning. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Messiah. 
Why am I talking about this right now? Because I'm moving us into the spiritual. It's the end times, guys. It's high time we get into the spiritual. We, it, it's, you know, it depends on where you go. You know, Messianic Judaism is an amalgamation of different uh, granola, right? But you can go to a Messianic congregation that looks just no different from an, from a, a, an Orthodox, an Orthodox Chabad or, or congregation. There's one in Florida. I remember I visited one in Florida and I thought I was at a Chabad. This, and, and it's legit. I mean, they're literally under the, the law of the Chabad. I mean, they're doing everything. They look no different. And in fact, if they wouldn't tell you they believed in Yeshua, they, they, you wouldn't have heard it. Or you go to places that are like absolute, you know, it's like going to a church. You know, there's, a, there's Messianic congregations. They put Christmas trees. Well, how are you Messianic? You have a Christmas tree. Yeah, but there's a menorah right next to it. it, it it's very different the world we live in. But I need, I need us to understand something. The law doesn't save us. It's a fact. It didn't work. It didn't work. This is why Yeshua had to die. You get it, right? I mean, because the law couldn't do it. I have been crucified with the Messiah. It's no longer I who lives, but the Messiah who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's literally telling you that he's walking his life out in the flesh, but he's living in the Spirit. While in the flesh. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, he went into the river. He's letting God direct his flesh. That's living in the spirit. And I'm asking us to try to do that as a people. Let's let God try to direct our flesh, our bodies. Where should we be? What should we be doing? We make decisions and we go after them. And does God, does God approve of them? Sure. But is it what he wants for us? That's my point. My point is, is that where is God taking us? We have to get there. And we have to do it in the spirit. You can't do it any other way. He says, who loved me and gave himself up for me? Yeshua did. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What's that mean? It means that the law could not do it. It was weak because of why? The flesh. The law was weak because of the flesh. The flesh wouldn't allow me to follow the law perfectly. I couldn't do it. If I followed the law perfectly, would I be justified? Throw it out there. If I followed the law perfectly, would I be justified? Yes, you would. Yeah. Because Yeshua did it. And because of his justification and our belief in him as the son of God, we are also justified. He's the father. The father sent the son. And the only way to eternal life, the only single way to eternal life is the belief in the son. 
And the only way to get to the Son is if the Father draws you to Him. Spoken of by the Son Himself. So, here we are. Why do you have to die, Lord? One, you're a sinner. Two, the law doesn't work. It didn't work. Okay, so this you say this in the Brit Kadeshah. You say this in the, in the New Testament. I'm a sinner. I needed salvation. I agree. Sister Shad, I wouldn't call her a sinner. I don't know why she needed a death. She did. She did. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That, that statement is amazing. If you would just sit down peacefully, eliminate everything from your mind except for the Holy Spirit and God, and read, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Your desire to have God revealed to you, His arm would be amazing. You would say to yourself, Lord, please reveal your arm to me. And I'm asking, are you asking yourself that? Are you saying, Lord, reveal to me your arm. What are you doing? What are you doing in this world around us? For he grew up, it says, this is the arm of the Lord. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He was no stately form or majesty that he would look at him, that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, he had no regard for, and we had no regard for him. Do you know who this was describing? This is Yeshua. You're king of kings, guys. Okay. This is your king of kings. This is his description. You know that Roman picture we see? That beautiful Roman picture? His long flowing locks. Beautiful trimmed beard. Long Roman nose of Jesus standing there with his arms out. That picture that people actually, when you pray, and I'll argue that 80% of you in this room has prayed, and in your prayer, in your mind, has pictured that. I said 80%. I'm telling you, you have. I have. That's what you see. You meet somebody, you shake their hand, you see their face. When you go away and someone says their name, you picture that in your head, do you not? Yes. I know what they look like. Someone tells you Jesus looks like this. All of a sudden, 
you're going to think to your head, hey, Jesus, I mean, oh yeah, I know Jesus, and you're going to picture in your mind. This picture of Jesus is not the picture, is not who we hear about in the scriptures. Let me tell you another thing. If you take and you read, historically, I said it at Yeshiva the other day, if you read about this Jesus that died on the cross for our sins, the historians have described him as being three cubits, bald, crooked nose, hunchback, bow legs. You know what three cubits eye is? Four foot six. Yeshua. Josephus describes him this way. He looks like no one would think he's going to be the king of all of Israel. Why? Because he grew up like a tender shoot, despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain, familiar with sickness, like one from whom people would hide their faces. He didn't, he didn't look like what you think he looked like. Now mind you, Stephen and I had a little quib at Yeshiva, and I asked him, do you think he changed, his, the way he looked changed after he rose from the dead? And Stephen said, yeah, probably, and I agree. Because why? Because his own disciples didn't even recognize him. So now he's in his glorified body, and he probably looks like a king now. He's probably looking more kingly. His hunchback kind of straightened up. His bow legs kind of went, and that made him six foot. He went from four six to six foot, maybe. The point is, is that look what he had to endure for you. Look what he's enduring for you. He's hated and he's despised. Yet we ourselves, we assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, humiliated, and he was pierced for our offenses. This is Isaiah. This is Yeshayahu 53, okay? He's pierced for our offenses. He's struck down. And, 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 and we thought he was basically being humiliated by God. Well, you know what? We do do that. We, we think that. We think someone gets struck down, it's because they're living in sin. Well, God, you must not be walking right with God. Something's wrong. Good people, God blesses. Bad people, God doesn't bless. Wrong story. And you're reading the wrong book, if that's what you think. Pierced for our offenses, crushed for our wrongdoings, the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds we are healed, all of us, like sheep we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. It doesn't matter what you're, you've done. He took it. It doesn't matter your sinful nature. He took it. Tonight. You understand the significance of tonight? 
He took it this time. During Passover. Every year we should reflect upon the fact we shouldn't even feel, you know, we should feel a, a little bit of agony coming at this time. I preached years ago here, uh, and I said that Pesach is probably the most significant feast to us. It's not into Judaism. In Judaism, it's not the most significant feast. But it is our most significant feast as, as a body of believers. I'm not sure the disciples even made a big deal out of it after the fact. Because I think they just were doing it, and it was just part of it, Right? And they were trying to live and survive and not get their heads put onto a stake and get hung upside down on crosses and not die, um, you know, for, for saying Yeshua was the king. But the fact is, and it was beautiful when I was listening to Stephen at Yeshiva the other night about Yeshua, and if you didn't believe he raised from the dead, then come and listen to this teaching that he asked everybody to come if, if, to, to give you proof of why he raised from the dead. It was a good, it was a good discussion. And... And you know the biggest point that stood out to me, and, and it shouldn't have stood out like that because, it, I mean, it's like a no-brainer. But these guys, these guys were willing to die for this. They were literally willing to be killed for Yeshua. Knowing he was the Messiah, knowing that he raised from the dead, knowing that, that he's coming again, knowing that their sins were forgiven, knowing that they walk in the power of God, and even though they walk in the power of God, that their destiny is to what? To die. They knew their destiny was to die. And if anyone was to say to them that, that no way you're going to die, they now, Peter now, would look at that person and say, get behind me, Satan, the same way Yeshua looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. He would say it because he believed. And do you have the faith the way he had the faith? I think that faith is no longer around. I think it's no longer around. And I'm telling you, but if there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God in the end, in the last days, that's the kind of spirit that we need to get into. As a body of people and as believers, we're a small little congregation. We're not a mega church that's talking about, you know, name it and claim it and wealth and health and, and all the stuff that goes on at those mega churches. But man, oh man, can the power of God move? I bet you, I bet you, if we would change our gears a little bit, you would see things like they saw in the first century. Like they see in rural places of Africa right now. Because their faith, they have to have it. See, we're all comfortable. We're all comfortable. It's high time we get uncomfortable and realize that we serve a king and a master and we are running against time. There are people that we have to save. There are people out there that we have to speak to. There are people out there that have to come to the faith. They have to come to knowledge of Yeshua as the Messiah. And it's not good enough that we can all talk about it and we can look, look, open up the scripture together and say, this is what God meant. <laughs> yeah, you're right, this is what God meant. It's not good enough that we can exegete scripture together and, and midrash and build each other up 
by our own knowledge. Go out and get some people to the faith. Teaching people. Moving in, in the power of God. Showing them that Yeshua is Mashiach. Well, they're not ready yet to listen. It doesn't matter. Are you ready to be moved by, are you ready to be used by God? That's where we have to be. Moving in the presence of God. He literally, Yeshua tells his, Yeshua tells his disciples to go out into the world and to minister the gospel. And if people reject you and they reject the gospel message, what's he tell them to do? Dust yourself off and leave the place. And go to the next place that accepts you. And if they accept you, stay with them for a while. Why do you stay with them for a while? To teach them. To teach them in the knowledge. And you know what's beautiful about Messianic Jews? You know what's beautiful about us? The scriptures in the end, they say that, that, that the, the Gentiles will grasp the hem of the garment of a Jew. And they will say, show us your ways. And let me tell you something. That prophecy is not, show me how to keep Shabbat properly. That prophecy is not, show me how to tie my own tzitzit and put them on my belt loops. I know I'm being facetious, but I'm, but I'm serious too. That's not what that prophecy is. That prophecy is show me your God. Why? Because you know him. Why? Because he was passed down from Abraham to Yitzchak to Yaakov to Moshe who put it down in a book for us to read. And then through the generations, all the priests of God were from the nation of Israel. And no matter if you've been adopted into it or if you've been born into it, if, you, if you're in it, you know the God of Israel and people should be grasping your hymn and asking you to show us your God. And when you show them your God, tell them that he was oppressed and afflicted. Tell them that. Tell him that he did not open his mouth once when he was oppressed and afflicted. Tell him that like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for their wrongdoings of, us, of, of our people, to whom the blow was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Tell them that. And do you want to serve him? Because that's who serves you. Everybody wants a conquering king. Everybody wants this conquering soldier coming that's got, that's got brass for a chest and, and, a, and a helmet that is strong and sure and a sword that's mighty to pierce through any wicked you know, enemy that comes his way. Everybody wants that. But does everybody want the one who was beat up, 
pierced, crucified, and do you understand why he was? Because if you do, that's when you break down. And that's when you come to the altar. And that's when you bow your knee. And that's when you bawl your eyes out because you realize that you took what I deserve. And if you can't teach that Yeshua, and you're just teaching this conquering king that's coming, then you're not teaching the right Yeshua. They won't know him. It says yet, here, right here in the middle of this passage, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. This is Yeshayahu. This is Isaiah. This is a prophecy. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He was with a rich man in his death. I want you just to remember that for a second. It's, it's beautiful. But the Lord desired what? To crush him, causing him grief. <laughs> The Lord desired to crush him. He's in, the, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's he say in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Lord God, my King, my Lord, my Father, please take this cup from me. Oh, the Lord desired to crush him. And how do you know he desired to crush him? Like my teaching a few weeks ago about the olives. God was crushing him to the point he was bleeding from his pores. Just like the Korek sandwich that, that Stephen takes us through. He's bleeding through his pores. God is crushing him. For you. Causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one. My servant will justify the many. God's servant, the righteous one, will justify the many. Yeshua. He will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. I mean, come on. Who doesn't see that? As Yeshua... What Jew on this planet can't read Yeshayahu 53 and see Yeshua on the cross? It's mind-blowing. We should be talking to our brothers and sisters. Second Corinthians. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Mashiach, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. So we just talked about it, right, in Isaiah, that he was crucified for the wrongdoings, not counting it against them. Here, in 2 Corinthians, he doesn't count the wrongdoings against them, and he, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's reconciling us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for the Messiah. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God. This is your message to the world. Once you come to the understanding of who Yeshua is and what he did for you. You have to be the ambassador of the Messiah to the world in the spiritual. Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
I, I don't know if you guys feel good about letting someone else take the fall for, for your wrongdoings. But I don't feel good about it. I never have. Accept your own wrongdoings. But when you're wronged, a lot of times, you know, when you're wronged, you don't like to take that. So you like to tell everyone, no, no, no. No, you have to just take it. The way Yeshua did. Take the lashes. Keep your mouth shut. Take it. Mark 15, 22, 47. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man would take. Now it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, listen, the inscription of the charge against him read, Melech Hayudim, King of the Jews. This was his charge. And then they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ah, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from that cross. Mockers. Not realizing because of their ignorance and the fact that they're not in the river that he was talking about his own body. Save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with their scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, now my, you realize, guys, these were the leaders of the faith. The chief priests. They were deceived. They were lost. They didn't get it. They didn't even understand that he was the Messiah. They didn't get it. Do you think we would have? You ever ask yourself that? You ever ask yourself, do you think you would have got it then? Or would you have fallen into the same boat as the masses? I mean, think about what's going on around the world today. Which boat do you fall into? The masses or the, or the other side? What would you have done? You would have looked at this man. He's four foot six. He's bald. Really kind of not good looking. Bow-legged. Hunchbacked. And this is my Messiah. It's easy for us right now to think he is. But if you don't know him, if you're not drawn into him, if the Father hadn't given you to him, then it would have been hard. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. That's interesting. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. 
it's a different, you know, we, we always hear the story about the one that was next to him that said, you know, forgive me, you're the, and he says, you'll be with me in paradise. Right here it says, the ones that were crucified with him were insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is Eli, Eli, lama azavtani, right? Which is the same as the one in Psalm Tehillim 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard him, they began saying, Look, he's calling out for Eliyahu. And someone ran and filled a sponge with a sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let us see if Eliyahu comes to take him down. I mean, can you imagine these bullies? These bullies? Kick a man while he's down, why don't you? He's on a cross dying, and you're still doing it? You deserve death. They deserve death. But you know what Yeshua is doing on the cross? Dying for that person. That's the crazy part of it. That person who's, who's telling him that he's worthless and laughing at him and mocking him. He's literally dying for that one person. For that person. Yeshua doesn't just die for you who walk and say how great he is. He also dies for the one who says that he's not so great. That's what makes him perfect. That's what, that's what makes him deserve our praise. That's what makes him... That's what makes us need to give him praise. And if you don't praise him, simply for the mere fact that he is perfect, then you don't deserve him. We have to get to that revelation and understanding. But Yeshua let out a loud cry, and what did he do? He died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who was standing right in the front of him, saw that he died in this way, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion... Not a Jew, the Gentile. The Gentile standing in front of him saw that he died the way he did and said, truly, this man's the Son of God. He had to be. Not the Jew. The Jews walked back off to go, be, uh, to go have the feast. They're like, well, the feast is coming upon us. We better get home to have our, to have our Passover. Now, there were also some women watching from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and, and it says Joseph and Salome, uh, when he was in Galilee. They used to follow him and serve him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Jesus is buried. When evening had already come, since it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who was himself also waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate, and he asked for the body of Yeshua. And Pilate wondered if he was dead at, by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And after learning this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph bought a linen cloth 
took him down, wrapped him in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. Remember it says in Isaiah, yet he was a rich he, yet he was with a rich man in his death. And here we see just to fulfill that little piece, just to fulfill that little message that's just tucked away right in Isaiah, Yeshiahu, Joseph of Arimathea shows up and and puts him in linen cloths and puts him in this tomb. Just to fulfill every single prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Here this rich man comes and he puts him in the tomb. Oh, and by the way, for coach, for you, it says that Joseph rolled the stone right in front of the grave for him. If you remember from Yeshiva. Yeshiva, we were talking about the angels moved the stone. And I said, well, somebody had to put it there. But anyway. But then it says here that, that uh, wrapped him in a linen cloth and they moved the stone in the front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching to see where he was laid. People, this, this time, this, this place that we're in, the world that we're in, we're distracted. We have to, we have to get our minds and our spirits in sync with what God's doing. Every morning you wake up, you, 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 you know, I don't know how many of you do it, but you have to, you have to, you have to every morning wake up and praise God for the breath he's given you and then say, okay, what is it today that you have for me? Sometimes it's just sit. Sometimes it's just be silent. Sometimes it's just listen. Sometimes it's just basking me. Sometimes it's those types of things, and that's great and okay and good. That's what God's telling you to do. But there are times when God gives you a charge that you go out there as his messenger, as his disciple, because you are. We need to be. We just talked about the salt of the earth in our, in our message with the parsley. We dipped the parsley this time twice, right? This is an interesting, auspicious time because we don't dip once, we dip twice. And if the salt loses its saltiness, what's the point of the salt, right? What's salt? It's a preservative, right? If you want to preserve meat, what do you do? Can you pack it in salt? Yeah. What they do before refrigerators. There's certain things you can do. You pack it, you draw blood out of it, do whatever, but you preserve it. It's a preservative. If the salt leaves the earth, you can't preserve the world. God is telling you, you're the preservative of the world. You're the one that will preserve the world. You're the salt that will preserve the world. So you need to get out there and preserve. Move in his presence. Move in his spirit. Move in the gifts of the spirit. Move in the gifts of the spirit. It's time to think that way. Because they're real, and they're biblical, and they're in the scriptures, and I don't care if you're, you know, not, you know, if you were raised Catholic, or if you were raised Apostolic, or if you were raised Pentecostal, if you were raised Assembly of God, if you were raised Baptist, or whatever you were raised, well, we don't believe in that for this time or that time. Do you believe that God can move however he would desire to move? Then let him. 
And stop holding him back. And stop saying he doesn't do that anymore. Don't tell God what he does. Be open to allow the Spirit of God to move. And there's some of you out there that are very, very legalistic. And you're going to say, but it has to be in the right order. <laughs> yeah, it does. God's order. That being said, move in the presence of God. Move in His power. Move in His Spirit. Find Him in a different way. It's 2023 and the world's changing all around you. And I don't know if you guys recognize, but there's aliens now, supposedly. Like, we're in a different time. It's coming. The deception is coming. They're trying their hardest to deceive you. So get in the Spirit. Understand that, yes, you are a sinner. That's why he had to die, number one. Number two, because the law couldn't complete you. There's nothing you could do, literally nothing. That's why grace had to come, and it's a beautiful thing. The law cannot complete you. A keeper on my head, tzitzit on my, on my, on, you know, on, on my sides, uh, a tallit when I teach, uh, name it, I, you know, light the candles at the, spur, the perfect time every Shabbat, not turning on my stove, all those things doesn't do it. If you want to do those things, Baruch Hashem, do them. Do them. If that's your practice, your orthopraxy, do it. But it's not your salvation. Only He is our salvation. And He died this time. He died this year. He died this season. This Pesach. He died at this time for your sins. His blood is now what covers your four corners of your house and, and your family. And we have to live like we know it and live like we recognize it. If we don't live that way, I think we're going to have problems in the end. Amen. So we're going to move on to the Safun, it's the Lord's Supper.